Good morning, church. Today I'm going to be reading Ephesians 4, verse 1 to 16. Unity and maturity in the body of Christ. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens. In order to fill the universe, so Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining, the whole, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth of, in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is head, that is Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as part, as each part as each part does its work. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you so much uh, for, for that reading and for, for our prayers. Good morning, all. Good to see you. And before I start, I um, don't know if any of the rest of you have had this experience of our, our journey through Ephesians as a church, journey through the, the book of Ephesians. It feels like one of those experiences when you're on a train and outside is this incredible scenery and you're kind of like this, kind of whipping your head around to kind of catch the beautiful vistas that again and again pass by. We're kind of uh, exploring this, this, these extraordinary truths and these short chunks that we are looking at, the book of Ephesians on a Sunday morning, aren't enough to do justice to this letter and to its significance, I believe, for us as a church at the moment. When it was first received, this, this letter wasn't received as a church to be read out in chunks over a few, uh, over a few months. It was received by a meeting of people following Jesus, probably passed around between different house churches. They would have eagerly gathered together on the Lord's Day. They would have um, shared psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We can imagine ourselves there. They would have broken bread and shared wine as Jesus had commanded them to do. Uh, And then, can you imagine, eagerly, the eager welcome to Tychicus, who's brought a letter from our brother Paul, who's in prison in Rome. We're going to hear it, this revelation that we believe is, uh, is of God and, and, and speaks to our situation as a church. And he's going to read it for us right now. And Tychicus would have read the whole letter to the church and they would have received it. And I believe we receive things differently in that way. We see themes and links develop throughout the, throughout the, throughout the letter. 
We, we receive it differently when we receive it all at once. So this is what we're going to do at the end of this month. We're kind of coming to the end of our sermon series on Ephesians. We invite you to be part of receiving the whole letter all at once. On Thursday, the 28th of October, here in church and on Zoom, we're going to read the whole thing. There's such richness for us here in this letter as a church. And we'll share out, so we've got a few different different readers. And as we read it, perhaps we read it twice, uh, we'll invite the Holy Spirit to read us. Because this letter really reads us as we read it. So I invite you, however many uh, of you where there are, we can fit in however many we need, and there will be space on Zoom. So please do be a part of that. I think there's real food for us in this letter. So put that date in your diary, Thursday the 28th of October. But today, the vista outside our window takes us into things which I'm, I'm just going to jump straight in. Um, it takes us into uh, reconnecting with the practices of Jesus. Um, I think it talks about our calling, which is from Jesus, our character, which is formed after Jesus, our community, which has its identity in Jesus, and our contribution to the body of Jesus. Those are the things that we're going to be speaking about today. So when you wake up tomorrow, Monday morning, uh, how would you describe your purpose for the day or for the week? What would be what comes to mind? What would be your calling for the day or the week ahead? I'm going to give you a little moment to think about what comes to your mind so that you can have that, uh, have that before you. What's your purpose? What's your calling for the day or the week ahead? Some of you might honestly have thought, my purpose is, is to get through it. You know, some of us have, have been living in that place for, for this, this season of lockdown and all the difficult things that have gone on. So some of you might honestly have thought, my purpose is to get through it. And if there are days and weeks like that, and if that is where you are, may the presence of Jesus strengthen you to do just that. Some of you may have thought about how you spend the majority of your time whether it be studying or caring or uh, cleaning or uh, coaching or editing, whatever it might be. Um, that is absolutely the site of your calling. So have that in mind as we, as we think about what, what we're called to. Some of you might have thought about how you're involved in the church family here as a, as a teacher for younger generations, as a welcomer, as a PCC member. And again, this is brilliant. It's part of the expression of your calling. Have that in mind. Park that in your mind. Second question. Calling suggests that there's someone behind it. Someone has to call, right? That's that's what the word means. So who's calling the shots for you? When you wake up in the morning, who's calling the shots in your life? Uh, Again, take a moment to think about that. Because for very good reasons, the first person you think about when you wake up in the morning might might be your boss, because you've got a really big project that you want to go really well, that might be, that might be in your mind. It might be a good friend whose opinion you really value or that you're concerned about because they're unwell. The, 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 the person who directs your, your, who calls the shots for you. Who is it that's the audience for how you live the coming week? Is it the people who, who follow you on social media? Because what we believe our calling is And who we believe is calling us will define how we go about our days. 
We find ourselves wanting to live a life worthy of that calling, whatever it is, if it's our boss or our best friend. So it's really good to think about who is calling us and how they are calling us, what they're calling us to. So let's see what Paul says about our calling if we are in Jesus, because this, this passage today started, as a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. So let's work out what our, call, what our calling is. I'm going to flip back a few verses to chapter 3. If you've got a Bible near you or on your phone, flip back to chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. God's intent, some, some translations use the word purpose, God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purposes that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our calling as God's church, and we remember that this was to be received in community, not as individuals. Our calling is to reveal to the heavenly realms the manifold wisdom of God. The wisdom of God formed the universe with its galaxies and its epochs. The wisdom of God is revealed in the most perfect kindness, love, justice, and joy in Jesus. The wisdom of God went to the cross, carrying all our wrongdoing to put it to death and to bring us to new life. The wisdom of God united what was disunited into one family. And our calling is to reveal to the heavenly realms the manifold wisdom of God. Man, that's big, right? That's a big calling. Anyone feel equipped to live a life worthy of that calling? I think we have to have that sense of awe about what we're called to. But then let's think about who calls us. The audience for our calling, uh, we might think are our bosses or our classmates or our social media followers. Or we might think, oh, nobody really sees what I do. Nobody really cares what I do. But the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, we're told by this, are the recipients of our calling. It's them who who see the outworking of our calling. Paul talks about the powers and authorities a few times in this letter. In chapter 6, he says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. Recognize that this world is a contested space. Jesus has established his claim as king over everything that is by defeating death. And all that leads to death. He's established his claim for kingship. He's the king who gives life where there was death. Hallelujah. But that claim is contested in this current world by the, by the powers, by the powers and authorities. And it's our calling to push back the powers. To push back the powers who make a false claim on God's space on this earth. To extend God's glorious, good, just, loving kingship. Into our, into our world. And the one who calls us is not our boss who's got a load of KPIs to meet, is not our best friend who's going through their own things, it's not, our, uh, it's not our teacher who's got grades to fill. The one who calls us in this is the one who made us, the one who knows us, the one who loves us, and the one who wants to see us mature in him. The one who wants to see us grow together and mature, not remaining as infants. His call, uh, yeah, uh, our call comes from Jesus and our stage is before the, the powers and authorities, the heavenly realms. Our calling is anything but lowly. 
We are called to preach to the powers by our lives and relationships with the wisdom of God. I urge you, Paul writes, to lead, live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Martin Luther King, who was like Paul, a prisoner for the Lord, said, if it falls your lot to be a street sweeper, street, sweep streets like Michelangelo painted pictures, like Shakespeare wrote poetry, like Beethoven composed music, sweep streets so well that all the host of heaven and earth will have pause to say, here lived a great sweet street sweeper. He probably said it better than I did. Who swept his job well. Jesus calls you, friends. Jesus calls you. That sounds epic, and we might think, well, how, how does, what does that look like on a Monday morning? What does that look like when I wake up? Here's where it starts. Uh, our calling is from Jesus, and our character is formed after Jesus. This is how it starts. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with each other in love. These characteristics, as they grow in us, preach to the powers of God's wisdom revealed in Jesus' character. Humility is about dying to ourselves. It pushes back against the power of the, 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 the gospel of the self. Humility is about dying to ourselves. Another prisoner for the Lord, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, said, when Christ calls a man, he calls him to come and die. Now, that makes absolutely no sense. Makes absolutely no sense unless, unless there is one who, who gives us our life when we lay it down, who gives us back a life, unless we can live for one who is greater, more loving, more faithful, more just, more wise, more powerful than any human. It makes no sense to lay down our lives unless there is one who will receive that and give us back a life in all its fullness, give us back a life that cannot be contained by the years that we'll live because it's a life of eternity that cannot be contained by, uh, by, the subject, by, by our constraints because it overflows in us by things which are beyond us to do. Unless there is one who is greater than us, it makes no sense to lay down our lives. It makes no sense to live humbly. But there is one, friends, who is greater than us and who says, when you lay down your life, you'll receive one back from me, which is greater than any you can contain. His name is Jesus. Humility, about dying to ourselves makes no sense unless there is one who raises us from the dead, unless there is one who went through death. Thank you, Monica. Amen. John Mark Comer shows us some of the slogans that school us, the powers that school us today in the gospel of the self. You do you. Follow your heart. He says self is the new God, the new spiritual authority, the new morality. But this puts a crushing weight on the self. One it was never designed to bear. It must discover itself, become itself, stay true to itself, justify itself, make itself happy. The pressure is exhausting. All ourselves get things wrong all the time. But Jesus offers this alternative. Jesus offers healing for the brokenness and forgiveness for our wrongs. We follow a saviour who laid down his life and was then raised to the heavenly realms. He says, lay down your life and you'll find it again. How do we live a life of humility, pushing back the power of the self? Well, the practices of Jesus, being daily alone with the Father, being committedly in community 
We see how Jesus goes, he spends time with the Father, he spends time with his community in the crowd. His habits of praying, your will be done, as we've just prayed, praying that daily, put him in a position to be able to pray, not your will but mine, and then go to the cross for us. The practices of Jesus school us in humility. Can we connect with the practices of Jesus to grow his character in us? Be gentle, be patient, Paul goes on to write. Again, there are things that school us in the opposite direction. I think there's another slide or two on this. You can, yeah, uh, you can find, there's something around the, yeah, there we go. Our character is formed after Jesus. Humility against the power of the self. Gentleness versus the power of aggression. Patience versus the power of hurry. On demand and Amazon Prime school us towards hurry. We're schooled in this age, in this city, in impatience. And the practices that Jesus, that Jesus kept school us in this character, character of patience. Practices like fasting, not having to fulfill our desires immediately. Practices like Sabbath, particularly maybe social media Sabbath. Slow our souls so that we can do this impossible thing of being completely humble and gentle being patient, bearing with each other in love. How is the character of Jesus being formed in me? How are his practices schooling me in my character? We can't, do, we can't live this. We can't live, be humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with each other in love. We can't, we can't do it without Jesus, but with him we can. Secondly, community in Jesus. A community made up of people growing in Jesus' character preaches to the powers of God's oneness. That comes from uh, these verses here. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. It's not just about having a nice time on a Sunday morning. How we are community preaches to the powers of who Jesus is, of who God is. He is one. Let's have a bit more context. In the previous chapter, again, have a look at it if you like. If you've got, it, uh, if you've got a Bible, if you've got, uh, got it on your phone, um, just to make sure I'm not making it up, important to know that I'm not making this up. Um, chapter 3, verse 6, the mystery is that through the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the Gentiles, who are they? They're people who aren't Jews, are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. This might feel like a bit of a technicality for us. We don't use the word Gentile every morning. We, don't, we possibly don't think about how Gentiles and Jews are united in Christ every morning. But this is massively significant for us, and Paul cannot get over it. He spends the whole of this letter in awe about the fact that God has done this. God's it, it's such a big deal for us. First of all, most of us are Gentiles. Most of us are people who aren't Jews. And we, God's eternal purpose is that we in Christ get to share the, the promises of God to inherit all his riches and all through, with all his holy people. But secondly, the mystery of God's eternal purpose in Christ was and is revealed then and now through a multi-ethnic family united in him, Gentile and Jew united. This is still our inheritance. Rich Velodas, a pastor who leads a church in Brooklyn, New York, describes, it, describes this as the primary fruit of the gospel, this miraculous new family that is created out of the death and resurrection of Jesus. 
The prayer that precedes this chapter asks that God, ask that God, ask God that his church being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And again, in the context of the whole book, this speaks of Paul's awestruck wonder of the breadth of, God, of God's love that brings together a, a world, a needy world in him. You who are far away and you who are near. Different nations, different people groups united in him. This is what Paul cannot get over, the wonder of this. This letter was written to a church in Ephesus, present-day Turkey. I was fortunate enough to go on a cycling trip around Turkey many years ago, um, which included seeing the, uh, the ancient ruins of the city of Ephesus. Turkey sits, as you'll know, between Europe and Asia. Um, the, and the influences of both continents are, are, are felt there. Now, there are people very much more qualified to speak about this than me, um, but in cycling between some quite rural areas and some urban areas, um, it was almost like two different countries. You couldn't help but notice these kind of tugs on identity in, in um, different uh, dress codes, in different um, expectations on women and men, or different economic situations and these different things. You couldn't help but see the different tugs on identity. And these different pulls cause tension. What can bring unity in such a situation? What could bring unity in Ephesus, then and now? What can bring unity in Peckham here and now? Only a God who is father of all. Only one Lord who won victory by giving away his power, by dying on a cross. Only this God who poured out his spirit so that every person can know him by living in him. Only this good, true God is big enough to unite what that divides. And by our community, we get to preach this, preach this God to the powers. Unity of people who are exactly the same as each other is no news at all. That doesn't share anything. It doesn't preach to the powers of anything new. But unity of people who are distinct in all sorts of different ways, including disagreement and all sorts of other ways, preach of an extraordinary God. So what are the practices of God which help us live this out? What are the practices of community that help us live this out? Of hospitality, giving and receiving welcome, especially across divides. We talk about the practice of crossing the room. This preaches to the powers. Responding to his purpose in our community takes discomfort, but it preaches to the powers of just how good this God is, just how powerful this God is. Thirdly and finally, our contribution is invited to Jesus' body. As we're called, so we're invited to contribute to, to Jesus' body the, through the gifts that he gives us. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up until we all, all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Apostles, move the church forward, cause it to break new ground for the kingdom. Prophets, hear the voice of God, speak to the present time, and speak up about his priorities and his purpose. Evangelists, irresistibly share the good news that King Jesus is alive and invite more people to come into his good kingdom. How good to hear about that CAP event on, on Friday when, that was a, when people heard of the good news of Jesus and responded by coming into his kingdom. Pastors, notice and care and bring together and guide. Teachers, expand the minds and imaginations of every age group with the stories and truths of God's kingdom. 
And where gifts aren't exercised, the church doesn't get to unite, doesn't get to become mature. We at All Saints need all of these gifts and need to be exercising them. We can only become mature if we're all growing in our gifts, blessing those whose gifts are different from our own. Um, I meant to bring up here, and I've forgotten, but it's over by Carla, who's there, um, a, a pile of, uh, of, of spiritual gift surveys. They're little booklets which invite you to consider what are the gifts that God has given me? What's the way that Christ has wired me? And I invite you, those of you that are members of, of All Saints, to take one home and to fill it in and to ask God, what's the gift that you're calling and developing in me? Some of you might be absolutely sure what that is already, and that's brilliant. Some of you might not be so sure. But we'd love, we're so grateful to those of you that are exercising gifts within this family already, and we long to see us grow to maturity and unity. And how we do it is that we all exercise our gifts together. So I'm going to leave a pile of uh, spiritual gift surveys can you see them there, Carla? Do you want to wave them in the air? Meet Carla if you've not met Carla before. <laughs> oh, thanks. So, oh, brilliant. Bringing them up. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so these are these, these surveys that you can take home. I'll be at the, at the door at the end, and you can take one of these home and then be in touch with us uh, if you if you're, if you're become aware of a gift that you're not currently exercising or you want to find out a different way of exercising it or nurturing it. We want to just ask some questions about any of this stuff. We would love to, uh, to be a church where all gifts are nurtured and resourced together. Uh, there are some here for adults and there are some here for young people. So uh, whichever of those categories you consider yourselves in, uh, I, can, uh, I can resource you either way. Friends, I've said a lot, but I want to leave a moment now uh, for, to, for you to hold on to what God uh, is saying to you. So I'm just going to leave a pause and to pray for God to cement in your heart what he's saying to you this morning. And then I'm going to pray as Paul teaches us to pray um, in the in the verse and the verses before this letter holy spirit what you want to do among us would you do what you want to grow in us would you grow thank you for the gifts that you are pouring out and have poured out on this your church Thank you, Jesus, that you are enough for us. And so I pray. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, I pray that we, being rooted and established in love, the love that went to the cross for us, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long And high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus 
throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.